Exit for Podcast Mutants, Magic, and Marvels is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. So for all things media, check out cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. And for all things X's for Podcast, check out X's for Podcast on Twitter and YouTube. Welcome back to an all new X is for show our live broadcast of all of your favorite new Marvel comics. I am Nico and you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Nico action. That's N I C O A C T I O N. And I'm TK. You can find me at X Nate X gray X. And I'm Nathan. You can find me on Twitter as where I am yelling about no more mutants to the dream queen at Dazzler AOA. That's Dazzler, like in the age of apocalypse and like all other socials, but mainly Twitter. And looking fantastic fly, loving the the magic, the cosplay. It's It's all here. And we are, of course, here to talk about some of our favorite team books over at Marvel right now. We have an incredible array of new titles. We're looking at Fantastic Four 1 through 4. We're looking at Thunderbolts 1 through 5, which constitutes the whole mini. We're going to be checking out Tiger Division 1 through 3 and the first six parts of Avengers Assemble. But it does lead me to say, with all of these phenomenal teams running around the marvel universe what teams do you guys feel are missing from the marvel universe right now nathan i know you've got some like deep marvel love for some deep team like some deep core teams who for you is missing from the fate of the marvel universe right now? for me it's the west coast avengers like mm, gotta bring them back like give me something around like that late era team starting like maybe around 75 like beautiful team sure you can call them force works if you have to but they're going to be the west coast avengers at heart always the only reason i, would I call think them that's force a great works choice is because we just had that west coast avengers book which was yeah. a fantastic book don't get me wrong and i would pick up on that one again but given that we've had it i would love to see what a good in-universe reason yeah. would be specifically for why Forceworks came back. <laughs> they they did it once during that Iron Man thing, and yeah. I was like, uh, it's like that's the West Coast team. You're just putting Forceworks name on it. <laughs> well, but, and I, oh, I'm so sorry. No, by all means. <laughs> no, I was gonna say when we were, which we'll talk about later. But reading Thunderbolts, I also was like with Hawkeye, like, yeah, I just want a West Coast Avengers book back. <laughs> And I even understand what they're going for. I even get like the the oh, this is such a, a, a magical thing, this era. But it Hawkeye wasn't the thing that was magical about the era. No, no, sir. <laughs> no, he was like the one like he like US agent were just on the team and I read about them, but I enjoyed everybody else. <laughs> Now, TK, I'm sure you also have a, a love of a team that is just not properly represented at the moment. I do. And mine is really like, a you know, the question is like, who's not who's not here? Who's missing? This book is literally missing. Books were created and they were not printed. And that is New Warriors. Yes. Um, this run, this specific run, this cover that you are looking at for, well, for an issue that was fully 
uh, ready to print and just never came out in which we had, as you can see in the background, the original Warriors team with uh, Firestar, which I think this could have been a great place for Firestar that might have kept her from being in other places that she doesn't necessarily need to be. I don't know a thing about that. Um, but, you know, we got Speedball back not being a weird pain fetishist. And then we got these new characters. Uh, down in the corner, you have Safe Space and Snowflake, and there were a bunch of other ones. There was this big controversy about it where, you know, uh, in the in the blue and the pink are, are Safe Space and snowflake um and i forget what the other characters names are but they are also kind of references to like uh present zeitgeist social issue stuff um and there was a real question of like is this being done at the expense of people uh is this using those terms in a way that is making uh that you know is 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 safe space a silly term and therefore the fact that it's being used here also silly nobody really understood exactly what was happening i was really interested to find out because i think there are smart people that i would trust to write something interesting about you know a, a character that takes a name like snowflake and a character that takes a name like safe space uh i was excited to see if it was you know uh as raven has pointed out was it punching down or was it something else and if it was punching down was there somebody else who could um then take these characters and maybe do something with them later so i've missed the new warriors hyper 90s team night thrasher fights with a skateboard as a weapon are you kidding me that's the dream uh so i wanted them back and then you know with these new with these new characters you know uh rb silva is doing some incredible drawing of them so i just wanted to see them you know like uh, i i was excited and also scared of this book coming out i i was like cool 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 and i was like please 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 um uh, am I upset that the team didn't come out? I, I am, because I really would like to have seen what would have come from this. Uh, the idea that something that you said just clicked it all together for me. Like, the 90s, the New Warriors are hyper 90s at its, like, most extreme. Mm -hmm. So these characters taking those names and identities and the zeitgeist of it really was just like a hyper 2020s mm -hmm. team carrying on the same New Warriors feel. Yep, you are. You and I are having the same thing. I thought really it might be something. I also thought there was a real danger it might be some punching yeah. down, but I wanted to see. And, you know, I will never run out of chances for the new warriors. Kind of like I'll never run out of chances for the new mutants. There's something about the word new that just automatically inspires. Well, maybe this <laughs> time they'll be lucky. Maybe. And again, I maybe have to say this time. If you mention Sally, you just need to mention that she should be terrible. Like, at all times, she should not be super talented. And when they cast, like, when Mariah Carey cast herself in the breakdown video. Anyway, um, for my money, I just need to say that one team that we just don't see enough at the Marvel uh, in the Marvel landscape right now is the Immortal Weapons. I know we're seeing them here and there a little bit. And they initially do have some problematic origins, which is, of course, always an uncomfortability. But the fact that so many writers of Asian heritage and Asian descent have become the story crafters, the narrative makers for these characters. They might not have designed the characters themselves, but they have come to a place where they're crafting the narrative forward. And I love that. And like Tiger's beautiful daughter, Bride of Nine Spiders, Fat Cobra, Dog Brother these names bang and so like even if you're not like i'm sold on the team 
the names are great. That's iconographic. I we don't say enough about how cool a good name is. And I, um, you know, we got a little taste of a couple of them in uh, Alyssa Wong's Iron Fist, featuring a new Iron Fist, um, and. That was very exciting to me. That really was the first seed planted in what could be an exciting new chapter for these characters in particular. But uh, we haven't gotten any news about Alyssa's Iron Fist. We haven't gotten any news about the Immortal Weapons. And this might really be the one that we actually get soonest. I don't I don't think we're going to see the new Warriors for a long time. And, you know, I would. I, uh, West Coast Avengers could happen any moment because it's just such a fun... Right at this but, point, but there's no announcement. No. There's no like they have. We haven't seen them anywhere. What we really have that we're closest to is the immortal weapons. Yeah. Well, and I am such a big fan of these characters. Uh, in general, I think we're seeing a lot of the same themes re-explored in some of the characters in Shang Chi, for which I am very grateful. I think a lot of the characters in Shang Chi are fantastic. And uh, they really do fill out that, oh, look, it's an ability. It's a unique perspective for a character. It comes together as part of a magical family. And the fact that we know that it was created by a writer of Asian descent who understands the stories and the myths that go into creating this, it just makes it feel a little bit stronger. And then to see a writer of that same, you know, that same family come forward and say we can make these characters work it's the kind of thing that we say that like just because a character had a rough start doesn't mean they need to be canceled so especially if you know because what happens a lot of times is uh people with minority identities you know like ourselves people who uh, fell in love with north star who was not you know originally conceived of by a gay man become the people that then get to write north star and a lot of times you know we we maybe lament that we didn't have gay writers when we were reading comics as kids, but we accept that that was the case and we still got gay characters and now we want to be the ones who become the stewards of those characters. So it's a, it's a really interesting thing that happens where I think comic audiences uh, are always balancing trying to be forgiving while trying to hold companies and publishers accountable and say, you know, put queer writers on something. But if a queer cr character was created, uh, we'll take it. Like, now yeah. put now give it to a queer person to write. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like, I, I couldn't see a Iceman solo series, Infinity or otherwise, being written by a non-queer person at this point in time. Um so forth and so forth on that and same with like iron fist i love what of the wong they did with the character and i wouldn't want to see a non-asian voice on iron fist anymore either. oh for sure yeah. and i think that's one of the things that actually makes our first title up so interesting to talk about because i feel like when you're talking about the fantastic four one of the things you're talking about is in a lot of ways just unfortunately a very cookie cutter white bread scenario yeah. inherently and you know the way you would be able to transform fantastic four requires a revisioning and i think that yeah. fantastic four is one that it's really tough to sell a revisioning for people get so very don't you touch my mayberry about mm. the fantastic four in a way that i feel like they don't get about other books like it's just so protective of this world's greatest comics and i don't know that they've truly ever been the world's greatest comics for me 
I, I mean, I feel the same way. Um, we will we'll get into it in the segment, but they do refer to them often as the first family of Marvel, and I get that because they really kind of are the first yeah. nuclear family. Yeah, you know, the, 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 it's yeah. the first superhero book where it's a family, so it's it's true on a lot of levels. <laughs> um, but you know. I, I think the the tough thing about it is we have moved so far past the idea that the nuclear family is the only kind of family. Um, yeah. And yeah. if the Fantastic Four is the family book, that they've never been able to figure out quite how to say, like, here's, here's a new normal family. Here's something a little different. This maybe is getting us as close as we've ever been before, but, you know, we'll talk about it. Yeah, I got to say... Ben and Alicia's family is a lot more unconventional than the types of families that we've been presented with in the past. Uh, the arc that they're telling, like, oh my god. But I, I do think that most comics are about the importance of found family, and Fantastic Four kind of, like, is weird, and it sticks out in the fact that it's about the importance of, like, like almost like a core family with their best friend <laughs> with them. So it's 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 weird. It's like found family, but family at the same time. Yeah. And I think that brings us into our coverage of Fantastic Four, one through four. So uh, TK, take it away. So guys, uh, something happened. And now we've got a new Fantastic Four book, uh, which, you know, I, I, as, a, as a start for a book, I kind of, uh, I'll take it. It's a bold swing. Um, you know, we're coming off of this Dan Slot run that was 48 issues long. Quite a long run in, Nico, you are, you've already yeah. got something. Go. No, I forgot there was a run because I, <laughs> I, uh, you know how the Fantastic Four keep not being published for a hot minute because nobody understands how to make them work. Right. Um, I completely forgot that Dan Slott did that run because like it was so forcefully disconnected from what I was doing. I, I just fucking forgot. I just, I just forgot completely that there was even a Fantastic Four book by Dan Slott. It's really funny. The biggest moments for people like us were uh, X4, written by Chip Zdarsky uh, in, in 2019. Yeah, it was that first summer, summer 2019. Yeah. Um, and then uh, just the crossover when uh, it turned out that Franklin was no longer a mutant. Yeah, I forgot. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, Slot was I forgot about Dan. <laughs> <laughs> was really doing his own thing and it is a big comprehensive run uh lots yeah. to go into and maybe one day we will visit it but it was not connected to a show that is primarily focusing on mutant stuff you know we really yeah. went over losing franklin really quickly because what are we going to do uh we that's a conversation that i we're not going to get into now uh but then the rest of it was just you know, it's not like this Avengers run that we're going to talk about later where there's some really interesting overlap and the overlap also tied into events like Judgment Day. Fantastic Four's Judgment Day arc was a weird diehard story not written by Slot that came after Slot's run that's like, how are they going to get back in the building? Oh, also they're being judged. Uh, oh, and, and, and other uh, pain dominatrix lady, Oubliette, is in the mix for some reason. <laughs> So, uh, go. <laughs> I, I I read a lot of the Slot Fantastic Four, and it's very forgettable. The characters, 
for as much as you know a, a writer can always write like a lot of the characters did a lot of things that seemed out of character to a lot of the fans like johnny storm in his whole love arc was very uh, tough at times for big fans of johnny storm um I, his reed and sue were pretty good but I, I do have to say I did love this is where the kids come from with Finn and Alicia. Like I do I do love that part of the arc, uh the of the whole run. I do love that new status quo it set up. Um I, I love seeing Finn and Alicia as a lot more of like a happy married family, happy married couple, maybe more soundly together than Reed and Sue at any point. So like um yeah, most of it was forgettable. Wrecking the war was a big hullabaloo about you know like oh my god we blew up the moon and then it all got reset and that's like that's i think the thing that i already was kind of lost with this run right away i was like oh what are we doing well whatever we're doing is so unimpactful of other books that i'm yeah. not hearing about it in other titles and maybe i'm just reading the wrong books maybe it's like dan slots of uh, fantastic four and i have to hear about it again and then i suddenly remember all of the stuff we talked about but there is this sort of like natural penchance for me as a reader. And I've talked about it on the show a lot. When you hit me, like when, when you promise me that we're going to play Kerplunk, you know what I mean? And I see the little stick coming out and I'm like, oh, look, it's one boulder. And then the next thing you do is the boulder from Indiana Jones rolling <laughs> down the hill at me. It's yeah. just like not my thing. And so I did maybe think, that for the last number of years, Fantastic Four has been marked by big moves. And yeah, just as Ali Galactic, super fan, hey, is saying, I'll never forgive Dan Slott for reverting Franklin being a mutant. Literally, I'm going to take my toys and go home. It kneecapped the Fantastic Four versus X-Men book so hard. I Agreed. fully agree. We Absolutely. have to. Yeah. And then we have a contributor, Robbie, voting same Ali. I'll, I, I'll say Molly. I say Ali. I don't know what just happened to me. I forget how to read sometimes. <laughs> uh, it's very Leah Michelle of me. So I just, yeah, I'm tired of big events, big stunts. Just let me have the team. And, you know, an interesting thing about this, Nathan, I want to return something that you said, because like uh, a, an important part of this book is Ben and Alicia as parents. So I, I, I just want to put a pin in that for now, but, uh, <laughs> um, you know, I, it's, that we start with something has happened and let's go and then we'll tell you what happened is in and of itself kind of a big ask after you've come out of this big run that had all of these events and this book is saying like you can start totally fresh but we're also going to make up continuity that you now need to have in the back of your head and you know it's Marvel. So a lot of times you are wondering to yourself, did this happen somewhere and I missed it? Or is it intentionally unrevealed? And a yes. big thing for me no. was we just did some Spider-Man reading, some amazing Spider-Man reading. And <coughs> I went back and read a bunch of amazing Spider-Man. And Spider-Man has this moment where he has done something and he's in yeah. trouble and the Fantastic Four is upset with him. And I really thought that maybe the two moments were connected. Uh, it's just a yeah. lot of confusion, and I don't blame writer Ryan North because it's not a bad idea to do the kind of in-media res setup. Something happened and we'll tell you, but editorially, you have to know 
that we as readers and fans are now expecting that we are missing out on stuff when we're not reading it. So if you are saying, pick up issue one and stuff is unsaid, you really have to be clear. There's no place to go pick this up. Um, And it really hamstrings this book and makes you confused for the first two, three issues. um, Editor's note, you're not missing anything. No. (laughs) I mean, ultimately, yeah. but, you know, we get into this first one, and, and it's just kind of Ben and Alicia on a road trip, which is cool. It's fine. But didn't this feel like one, two, three, a Fantastic Four miniseries leading up to the new Ryan North event arc? Like, that's this smacked of, of, of not the moment, but the thing you read leading up to the moment so that when the moment comes, you're like, aha, the writer knows the voices, and I know the writer's take on these characters. <laughs> And, like, I love the dramatic tension. I love the leading me up to the moment. But, like, I did wonder a few times if this, you know, Ryan North has that page in the back of one where he's like, the Fantastic Four are fun. They're accessible. They're adventurous. Are they accessible in this? Not, I like, mean, especially not if you don't come from a nuclear family. My Fantastic Four pitch has always been Reed and Sue get divorced, mm. uh, which is so much more recognizable to people. Um, and you know, we've had decades of them being, you know, so no, they're not, they're not really accessible to a lot of people. I, I'm going to really like differ. Like I do not usually like fantastic four comics. Like I, I read the dance lot ones, like they were, they had their moments where they were okay. But at part of most of the time I was like, why am I wasting money on buying these? <laughs> um, so I, I was a little apprehensive and I really put off reading this Fantastic Four series until like just right before we started recording it. I was buying it, but it was like it's like in that pile of stuff that you're like, okay, I got to get to eventually. Yeah. <laughs> um, when I got to it, that first issue really drew me into Ben and Alicia's characters. That in a way I'd never been drawn into those types of characters before. I like I like the setup. I like the the battle. Um, I do like how, you know, the Fantastic Four really haven't showed up in much places outside of their own book lately. When they did, it was yeah. just Johnny Storm in the Spider-Man series. And that could fit in with what was going on because Johnny Storm's still in New York, as we saw. And it's just really fun and cool to see these characters. Um, issue one was great. Issue two, I don't really, I, I don't, it's, re- it's going to be a hard sell to get me to really buy into Reed and Sue being a cute, happy couple and me wanting to read about them together. I love reading about Sue Storm. I, I love, I sometimes like reading about Reed Richards, but when they're together, I'm just like, no. But even that story was well written for it. And I think it really got the point across their characters, their ingenious solution for it. Uh, when you got to the Johnny Storm issue, I was like, okay, I this is like my favorite Fantastic Four book so far. Like in that even goes past the ones where uh, Jin was in the Fantastic Four. That's really the only time I ever loved it before. <laughs> when you say, are you saying this this series is so far your favorite or the issue with Johnny was your favorite book of this the- series so far is my favorite. It's really okay. hard for me to, it's so hard for me to pick between like one and three, which one I liked out of these first sure. four of the best. Uh, I thought four was really good. And I, I, I did, I bought the story, um, you know, and I was explaining it to Steve, they were like, that's so complicated. And I was like, yeah, that's a little complicated. The events, yeah. 
but it Reed Richards complicated, and that sounds like the sort of type of stupid mistake he would make. Nico, before you go off, because I know you're going to, I just want to set up for everybody. In issue four, we get the reveal of what has happened, and it is that for Reed Richards' reasons, he has had to shunt the Baxter building and everybody who was in it and in its immediate vicinity into basically a pocket of time, and they will return in one year. So... Because instead of normal time travel where they do it based off of where you are, he does it based off of where you are, where the center yeah, of Yeah, it's, it's a solar rotation. Yeah, and, and so, like, he had to do it exactly one year in the future. So they're just like, it's going to pop up one year from now. And and all of the kids, uh, yeah. Valeria and Franklin, are in there. Uh, I'm not even going to get into Franklin. Never mind. Valerian Franklin are in there, but then also Ben and uh, Alicia's kids, who are a, a Cree and a Skrull child, and it's the yeah. it's the greatest. Like we adopted these kids, yeah. and we got it. So I was that was the thing I was excited for. I had just found out that that happened, and I thought, oh my god, we're gonna get Ben and Alicia as parents of this like odd couple of children that like you know. And I see, I've seen some panels, and it just is very sweet. And the first big announcement is they're gone. That's the whole point. You're not yeah. getting these kids. Uh, so anyway, that's for the readers. The big thing that happened is that, you know, Reed did a read and now everybody is without their loved ones and their parents that were in the Baxter building and their children that were in the Baxter building for one year. And now that's why we have gone west on vacation. <laughs> it's just like, but, OK, how, oh, how, me. why? Like, that was the only option for him to do. Like, it's such a Reed Richards thing. So, like, it, it makes sense in a Reed Richards, like, oh, my God, this is the only way to save the day. But they couldn't, like, call the Avengers or or somebody else before they decided to shunt time of a whole section of New York City. Yeah, I think the thing that gets to me is that we've played with time so many times as a weapon. You know what I mean? We use time in this way as a story device that the characters are bound by. But we exist in a world where time is subject to the writer's function, right? So, like, we get these 60-month gaps and this year-long gap. And characters will come back having aged 70 years, not looking any older. But they're 70 years older mentally. And that's just something we have to, you know, deal with. And the problem when you play with time dilation for me is just that, like, I've seen it. It's just a lot for me to accept that it won't be undone this time, that we're stuck with it. And, like, if the premise is that we're stuck with it, that's the premise. But, like, because of that, I'm sort of like, and I would never want to be apart from my boys for a year. I could yeah. never do it. I could never do it. But there does come that level of I also don't have galactic level responsibilities that I'd know that if I hadn't done this, my kids could. You know, it's like that moment where Ben is yeah. like, it's the point oh 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 one four percent chance that it could have worked. And I'm like, and I get that. I'm not here to say you don't yeah. deserve hope. We all need hope. But there does come a moment where I, I do kind of want to say, well, then you're not really playing this game. Then you're not really the superheroes that will give up anything for the universe, anything but the things that you don't feel like, like it's yeah. not that it's hard. It's not that Ryan North didn't do a good job. It's a corner we've written ourselves into in the ways we've evolved the storytelling of the Marvel universe, but not yet restructured how we see the social standings of these characters. We should be like, it's the miracle man syndrome. We should be thinking of them as, as gods, not as people in terms of their responsibility. And I think, 
That, so that's one thing. I think the thing that it really missed was a larger discussion because I think everything you said is actually in there. It just gets kind of glossed over really quickly. And unfortunately, like the, that issue four needed to be two issues, one yeah. where everything was explained and another one where they actually had exactly the conversation that Nico just had uh, because, you know, Reed kind of brushes it all off and then you later, which is funny to me, it's fucking hilarious that he's like, I'll see the kid in a year, I don't care that much. <laughs> he's like, um, miss he's Valeria, Franklin, what can he get up to? He's like, right, I am exactly. really gonna miss Valeria. So he's like, my Franklin, my Franklin. And but like, that was my, that was my big problem with this was that Sue wasn't reacting. Like, yeah, Sue Sue just being like, oh yeah, this is a Sunday was a, was a weird addition to the whole thing so i think it needed a whole separate issue to really talk about that because it also would have helped us understand the stakes the other thing is we're dealing with comic book time is this a year of publishing and will that represent the year that it takes or is a year of publishing going to be five weeks before this is the the thing is canceled and it doesn't actually take them a year go it's actually an h it's an HFG year. It's a Hellfire Gala year. Oh yeah. It's well, yeah. the amount Are of time between Hellfire Galas that is a year. Right. It's also you see soap opera aging that also yep. counts. Yep. Um <laughs> you know, we, you have it's choices. unfortunate because yep. Marvel has to deal with this at some point and this actually could have been a moment to make some inroads. You know, we eventually are going to have to talk about how people aren't aging right. And it's really bad now. Now it's going too far. Now we're too far from the Holocaust for Magneto to be as hot as he is. Um, like for but, him not to be a fucking corpse is a miracle, but for him to be this hot is too much. And now we need an explanation for why. And this book dealing with time stuff really could have been one seed planted in why things are the way that they are in the Marvel universe. Dealing with what this year is could have been the thing. Um, but it's not. It just is. This is just the plot, and that's fine. Uh, yeah, the Hellfire Galilee. It's like, it's like if you think about it, ev- like if you look at how many Christmas specials there have been in Marvel throughout, like they either have gone through like fifty years, or they celebrate Christmas every month. So that's like, actually Santa's secondary mutation. <laughs> he just makes it Christmas every year. Of yeah. Um, so, you know, as we start to wrap up our thoughts on this, I just want to, you know, big question. Are you guys going to keep reading? Uh, it's not really a fair question for us because we cover stuff. So this is, you know, uh, pretend, pretend we don't run this show and, you know, need to read comics all the time. Is this one that you want to go in your pile or, you know, did it convince you? Yeah. I would definitely keep reading this. I had a great time. Did I love it? No. Was it perfect? No. But would I give it a B at minimum every single issue? Yes. There was nothing less than a B for me here. The art is amazing. Yeah, really big shout out to Ivan Um, Gorgeous art. And I'm psyched to convince Robbie. I, too, I think I'm going to keep reading it. Uh, You know, um, oh, the one thing I really didn't talk about and do was objectify Johnny Storm enough. Uh, oh, that mustache. Mm, Ivan mm-hmm, Cabello mm-hmm. makes him look super hot and like a really dumb, horny himbo. The yeah. only thing that is missing is him making out with Peter Parker, but I think we're close, guys. I it's think like Steve Zahn fantasy the body. The fact that the only fireproof clothes he has left are his boxers. Yep. Every time he flames on, the hair dye goes away, and he's just down to his boxers. Is yep. 
great. Um, I, I loved. Oh my god. Yeah. No. I. I I'm gonna. I'm gonna definitely keep reading this. If if I wouldn't have to as a workbook, I would definitely keep reading this as a personal book because so many great moments. Like Johnny Storm. Like think about the Johnny Storm issue. Johnny Storm becoming like a union hero for like trying to unionize the you know undocumented mainly undocumented workers. Like him trying to survive in a world where he can't where somebody was able to figure out that he's not gonna hurt a villain if he can avoid it if they're not gonna kill anybody if he's not protecting anybody's life he's not gonna hurt that villain he's going to have to try to find another way and the way he did was was ingenious and i thought i thought that showed really growth of his character so yes the way that they've grown these characters so much um and even having reed care for the doombot in issue two like he's really grown these characters in these four issues Yes, the plot of it, the what happened is very contrived. But beyond that, it's amazing. Yeah, uh, I'm in. I'm going to keep reading. Um, this is a weird book, but it works. I really like Ryan North. I want to shout out Ryan North on this show because I talk about this a lot, but I'm always going to when I get the opportunity. Ryan North wrote an amazing six episodes of the Unbeatable Squirrel Girl podcast. I can't recommend it enough to anybody here. It works also with the Unbeatable Squirrel Girl comic that is uh, from 2019 through, I think, 2021. Um it's it's a great it's a great podcast. Some really funny Marvel uh, references. Some great celebrity cameos. Um, there is a phenomenal trans character in it. It's just a really great book. And I feel like if you like our show, if you get into the stuff we get into, it's a podcast you're really gonna like. That's written by Ryan North, and that's why I was excited to read this. He brings that same charm to the Fantastic Four, and even though he does not shake things up and shake the first family up the way I would like to see for them, he manages to do something interesting with their silly little milk toast life. So uh, we'll hopefully be talking about this again in a few months. But in the meantime, I'm going to throw it over to Nico to uh, set up our next segment. Well... I was like, you just want me to go? Or? Yeah. Oh, yeah. If you want to just go, right. if you want to go right into it, let's do yeah. it. Um, so uh, up next, we've got two new contributors that we are going to be bringing oh, in. Right. I believe we have three. We have three. That's right. We have three. We do have three. Ha ha ha. We have three new contributors that we're going to be bringing in. And we're going to be covering the Thunderbolts. The Thunderbolts. Hell yeah. So everyone, y'all introduce yourselves, please. Steve, go ahead. First part. <laughs> we'll go left to right. Hello, it's me, Steve, and you can find me on Twitter at HowdyDuda. That's H-O-W-D-Y-U-D-A. Hi, I'm Evelyn, the Comic Canary. You can find me at comic underscore canary on Instagram and Twitter. Hey, everyone. I am Robbie, and you can find me at Age of Polaris on Twitter. Welcome home, Robbie. It's yeah, been a hot so minute. Thank you. Back. I miss so you guys a lot. <laughs> Yay, cool. we're so glad you're here. It's been so long. And Evelyn's back yes. again. Yes. Ah. All right. So, yay. So, everybody's introduced. And we are getting into the issues itself. So, I got to I gotta ask, what is your history with Thunderbolts before this miniseries? Me, personally, I vaguely want to get into the original Thunderbolts. Because, especially because of Songbird, I love that character when I see her, but I haven't dived in yet. I do have the first Omni when I have a chance to read it. What about y'all? Well, I've actually been a... Oh, 
I've been a big Thunderbolts fan for a zillion years. A big fan of the previous runs. Really looking forward to figuring out where they're going after this. And I have had a great time uh, following this journey. Uh, we did a little bit of coverage of this previously. And uh, I'm really excited to see where this one goes. Okay. TK? Oh, okay. sorry. I was gonna. I was leaving it to to uh, Steve or Evelyn. Um, yeah, for me, Thunderbolts has not been a thing. Um, I I just have never been able to care. I I think I'm really excited about this particular team. And uh, Nico, as Nico does, has started to foist Thunderbolts ideas onto me that are making me want to go back and read the old <laughs> Thunderbolt stuff. But it never really appealed to me before. Um, you know, I needed a little kick, but this really got me there. And comparing, you know, uh, Mayor Cage's Thunderbolts to Mayor Fisk's Thunderbolts is also something I'm really excited to look at. Yes. Um, I'm a longtime fan of the original Thunderbolts run. I read it when it was coming out when I was a kid. Um, absolutely loved it. It was one of my very favorite comic books growing up. And as a result of that, I have some very mixed feelings about this series and pretty much all of the subsequent series of Thunderbolts from the first run. Uh, I have read bits and pieces here and there, issues here and there of other Thunderbolts runs. I think the Dark Rain Thunderbolts are maybe the most interesting ones to me outside of the original concept. But since the original concept was basically abandoned immediately by later incarnations in favor of Marvel's Suicide Squad answer, a thing that is not interesting to me. Um, it was nice to see something different this time, something that is neither of those previous things. And yeah, I don't know. These are a lot of characters that I really like, and I picked up the book because I really wanted... I really enjoy all these characters and I want to read more of them and enjoy more of them. And if that's what you're looking for, then you can see a little bit of that in the series. So. I have absolutely no background in the Thunderbolts. This was pitched to me as a quasi in like continuation of West Coast Avengers for Clint Barton. And that's why I joined on to Thunderbolts <laughs> and wanted to read it. Cause one, I'm just a huge Hawkeye fan, whether it's Kate or Clint. And I loved West Coast Avengers and, and people were like, it's kind of like it. And I'm like, all right, sure. And having no background, I absolutely enjoy it. And I would die for Ego. Do you feel like it was like West Coast Avengers? The... The pacing and the comedy felt very familiar. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I would say that uh, my background is probably more so... Um, I dibble-dabbled a little bit with the original uh, run. And, um, and I remember... I don't know if it was like a different run, but I remember there was this one time period when like Songbird was trying to like escape from like was it like Venom and Bullseye? I remember that, but beyond that, my memory is a little hazy. <laughs> uh, well, you know, this is it's it's a great it's a great combination of people to talk to about this book. Because, <laughs> um, you know, I going into this book, you don't really need to know much about Thunderbolts, but I think having some strong fans of the previous Thunderbolts runs that'll give us their take on this run because this this run 
where Thunderbolts has been more in the past about reforming villains into heroes, this this run is purely about reforming the name Thunderbolts from uh, Wilson Fick's uh, Villains for Hire team. <laughs> um, you know, I I there's so much I love about this on a meta level. Uh, Zub well, I mean, not Zub well, Jim Zub did a really amazing job in putting together a team and an angle that is that made it very much a book like how a fan would actually like write a book um the way the team itself was picked being almost like one of those dream team kind of things where you pick like hey you got to pick the leader you got to pick the fighter you got to pick the loner um i love that aspect of it where how did how are we feeling with the marketing idea in universe behind this thunderbolt team and its choice of the characters that it went with so for me personally i loved it because i'm like a nerd for logistics i'll read comic books and i'm like how did they like like, do this how did they like make like fix the mess kind of thing and i just like bringing in a pr marketing because my associates is actually in that and i'm just like yes this is incredible the pr team for a hero team that really needs it and like seeing like the marketing of like the toys yeah <laughs> for everyone to like to pay for like the mess that they make and like all the trouble they cause is like that's just hilarious to me what i really loved about the toy part is you know they really said listen we're somehow gonna make our coin with this scene <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah the the meta fictional aspect of like lampshading the marketability of various characters is interesting to me in the series. It's, I don't think the series ever gets a chance to really say anything terribly deep about any aspect of this, but you know, it gets a chance to kind of lightheartedly poke fun at the idea of Wolverine publicity, for example, like with guts and glory's character being like literally cable from nineties X force. (laughs) And then it was selling like hotcakes and it's just like, we need to have a loner on the team. Why do we have an, why do we need to have a loner on the team? I don't know. Every other book does. They keep putting Wolverine in them. The public loves it. <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty fun. And I, I do appreciate them getting into that a little bit. There's some stuff that doesn't work for me, like Egro fucking up the Met and everybody just, he comes out of it joining the team. And I'm like, all right, but I feel like we skipped like three or four PR steps here in damage control. But yeah, it's reforming the team name is an interesting take on the original concept of villains. Well, that's the secondary original concept of villains becoming reformed. And I, I think that's fun. And I think there's a lot of fun character moments. It reminds me a lot of Jim Zub's champions in, in the tone. I also think it's really interesting the way it's kind of like uh, Luke Cage showed up for his first day as mayor and they were like, oh, it comes with a Thunderbolts and you have to figure out what to do with it. Which I think is just kind of a brilliant thing. Like Wilson Fisk thought his Thunderbolts were just like a, a tool that he was using and we all watched as it was just more of Wilson Fisk's villainy, which I always enjoy. But then when Luke Cage shows up and is like, I'm going to do what Wilson Fisk did, but as a good man and for the people. So I have to take the same mechanism that he used for personal task forcing and I have to pick my own task force and it can't be fucking Stilton. It can't be Stiltman and the Rhino. So who's it going to? Oh, it's going to be Clint because Clint is the. <laughs> Is the rhino of my friends that I like. Um, <laughs> I, 
Does he like Clint? Does he like Clint? Does he? I think he. Uh, I think he likes Clint. I think he doesn't respect. Clint. I was gonna say I think he respects Clint, but doesn't like him. I want to flip that. I think he does like Clint. I think he doesn't really respect him. I think he does see what a mess he is, and he really. Uh, but he knows what Clint says, which is that he's been doing this the longest. Yeah. Like he does have the experience chops. And if you are mayor of New York City in the Marvel Universe, you do need your superhero task force. He tolerates tolerates him. Yep. Yeah. Well, and the thing about this team that really caught my attention was the effort to, I think, subvert my expectation of a Thunderbolts team without breaking the the mold of a Thunderbolts team. One of the things we talk about a lot on this show is like, is something the heart of something, even if it's not the outside dressing of it, right? Like, you can actually super convince me that the Genosian Excalibur works. Like it, it, it fits the idea of what Excalibur once was. It's fine. We can make it. We can make it attractive. And I think this Thunderbolts, while it's not really Thunderbolts, there's something Jim Zub is trying to connect to. It maybe feels a little bit more Disney Plus animated series at times in a world that feels a little grittier than that. But I thought one of the charming things was like. Even if I didn't have Songbird, I didn't miss her without questioning that this was a Thunderbolts book, although it is always appropriate to miss Songbird at all times. Fully agree. I don't think I would have wanted Songbird in this series because I think her character is so opposed to what's going on here, right? This is not a Clint who's like the reformed criminal. This is the Clint who fails upward and keeps fucking up and keeps getting jobs. Okay, you said that he has the most experience and that's a big part of this series, but something that really interested me throughout is Hawkeye's feelings of like imposter syndrome and his like subconscious like it because of who we know is doing everything at the end then we know why this is happening to Clint specifically I'll give a spoiler it's nightmare (laughs) about the feeling of like having constantly failed upward and being kind of dumb and not really knowing how to actually do anything despite so many years of the game and wondering why he keeps getting to be put in leadership position is a real good, important question to ask. And we see kind of damningly that when he's in his, like, nightmare reality, every time he gets the chance to, like, distract himself from guilt or the consequences of his past actions or regret for things that he's done or things that he screwed up, he just, like, takes the opportunity to look away from it and is very excited about it. One of the best panels in this entire series was just Clint holding the thumbs up being like, all right, cool, no thinking about guilt. So now now I got to... Like, I know, Evelyn, you said you're a big Hawkeye fan. So, like, how do you see that as a big Hawkeye fan? Because I, I, I do not love Hawkeye, and I kind of see it the same way Steve is seeing it. But as a big Hawkeye fan, I really want your take on this. I mean, I think that's the reason I love him is okay, because he's he is trash. He is an absolute <laughs> trash monster. He is. And- I Absolutely. feel like I identify with that, and a lot of people can identify with that, that imposter syndrome, that failing upwards, where it's like, he's just okay. a dude with a bow and arrow that keeps getting thrown into literal galactic level, end of the world type stuff. Okay. And he just kind of just, oh, all right. <laughs> he he's a ring ding in a room those. of Boston cream donuts. Yes, he's, <laughs> he's a ride or die. And he's like, he's not going to not help he's at at his core he is a good man who's always going to help he may not know how to and he may not do it the right way and he's gonna fail a lot but i love my (laughs) heroes beaten and bruised and like depressed like (laughs) like realistic (laughs) to me that's 
realistic as like the ones that have like all the trauma. <laughs> I, I love do the really idea appreciate that, that he has hearing loss because he's just a human whose body got broken. Yep. Yeah. I gotta say, so the arrest, it, it, this book mainly does feature Hawkeye. It does have some good Monica Rambeau moments that don't really set up her solo series and are kind of at, uh, like, the solo series very at odds with it. So, like, in the solo series, she's already broken up with Adam. Um, in this <sighs> in this issue number three, I think it was, she has a, we have a really beautiful scene between her and Adam Bredger and talking about why why are you doing this and she's really explaining her true feelings behind it um i so i love monica in this um obviously uh kara i love this character this character really isn't kara kilgrave because it's not really who she is but like i do love this character i love the subtle flirting we got with america chavez in issue one like was she like sorry i like teams that win yeah (laughs) Yeah, so I like I love this. Egro, Egro's amazing. I I really I wish... would die. And like I really wish we found an, found out the mystery behind Guts and Glory. Um, but where are y'all in Power Man? Power Man's just great. I love it. Where are y'all with these characters? Did you guys ha- did y'all have a favorite that came out of this, or did you have a favorite going into it? I gotta say, Mine. like, yeah. Sorry, mine unequivocally is Guts and Glory. Uh, hottest man in the Marvel Universe right now. I love him. Uh, I, I, do, I mean, I like, you know, the, the cable thing you could see, and then I love that they just leaned into it when oh, yeah. he shows up and just <laughs> makes him cable, and he looks ama- just amazing as cable. It works. Um, but I also like that he had enough character and backbone that he's the one who, you know, he is a leader who's saying, I did not, I was not hired to lead, so I'm not going to. Oh, shoot, you guys are so messy that I actually need to step in for a second and talk to you like yeah. a leader, but then can step back. Like, a very interesting character is, is all I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, and just super hot, and, you know, those are the things that I'm here for. So he ended up being my favorite, but I did think this was a really strong cast in terms of, giving you crowd pleasers and giving you characters that like six people in a room could all really like one of them more than another and that at the end of the day though you would just be like that was fun that was a fun Mm -hmm. group yeah uh power man stood out to me in this um guts and glory is obviously like the most intriguing character in this but the only one with like much of a defined arc in these five issues outside of like hawkeye is uh victor he's got He's got some performance issues and he's a little worried about his ability to like hack it with the rest of the guys. And I think that it's one of the best uses of Hawkeye's character in the series as a former Thunderbolts leader and as a former like shit heel Avenger is just like having him come and be like, Hey, listen, I like was with a bunch of gods, you know, and America's super soldier and I shoot fucking arrows. Sorry. I shoot arrows. And like, how do you think that made me feel? Probably about how you're feeling. And like, I like that he also doesn't really have any like real solution to that. It's just like, yeah, I'm the least powerful guy. And I, I just failed upward and survived this whole time. And you can too. And honestly, it like made me feel pretty happy. Like, I, I think he's a good, he's a good mentor figure. If only that he's good at like understanding and empathizing with his teammates and trying to meet them where they're at. It's a new age. You can white fail upward with me. (laughs) (laughs) But just to jump 
Hanna that I really liked the new Power Man as well because even though I read comics, there's so many comics out there that I just haven't been introduced to him yet. So I was so I was very like, who is this at first? But like seeing him, like like I said, I like my hero struggling and he struggled, he failed, but it's like and he hid because he was embarrassed. That was like such a heartwarming moment to me because it's like I get that. And like seeing him gain more confidence has I really enjoy. I like seeing these like newer characters like not have like the old golden age comics of I'm powerful, I'm gonna do everything. They're like, uh how do I do this? I need to learn. I'm on a learning curve, learning on the job. Let's go. He's about a decade old. He came out of Shadowland, uh which was a questionable Daredevil event at it's heart, but some of the stuff that came out of it was spectacular. Tremendous use of black tarantula, uh, excellent use of white tiger, some strong Electra usage and a weird Electra period. And this power man who would then go on to get a mini series with iron fist and would appear in various incarnations of things like the champions, as well as youth and revolt. He is uh, just a spectacular character who does not get enough action. I highly recommend it. Um, and it, um, go ahead, go oh, for sorry. It. Go, go for it, Robbie. Okay. Go for it. So uh, I'm always very biased when it comes to Monica Rambeau appearing and stuff. That's been my girl for so long, and she was the main reason I was interested in wanting to go into this series. And um, and one thing that was pretty funny to me was I think in like the second issue where Monica didn't like appear as much. And because her contract wasn't like made or something, and I was like, "So is Monica just like binging a show on Netflix? Like, what, what's she doing?" And she's hanging out with Wong. They're just watching <laughs> The Sopranos. <laughs> I'm not. And um, it was cool seeing Kara. Uh, is it Kara? 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 Okay. Yeah, it was cool seeing. It's her. purple. <laughs> and um. Persuasion, if you but I think with this series only being five issues, I would have really have liked to have seen it maybe be longer or her appear in a longer series because I would really like to see her get a chance to really evolve in like a long term series. Because, from my understanding, I don't think she's really appeared in too much. Not much, okay, not much in the modern era. They brought her back for, uh, I think, both of the Alpha Flight things, but, like, in uh-huh. really, 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 really small, they, uh, like, really, really small, like, more like cameo appearances. Yeah. Last last I saw her, she was, like, a sort of villain, like, robbing banks. So <laughs> I'm glad that she got her shit together, stuff together and that she is just, she's out there, like, living her best life in New York trying to... Oh, we didn't miss you too, uh, Ali. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so it's really it's really good that we're we're seeing more characterization for as a grown up, and I guess you can explain the differences in her characters that we really haven't had much of a focus on her. I know she minorly appeared in Daredevil, right? Um, she was but, like, purple children adjacent. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Very yeah. violent of her. So the reason that you guys say that she is not the same character is because she was primarily villainous. And like had a very different tone to her language. She was, she was sharp in a way that I would never call like bitchy. She was sharp in a way that was very strong and self-protective. She was 
I don't know. This this is a very fun version of her. This is a oh, very yeah. I would watch. It, this is cool to see. Do you? But think it feels there ought like to have been a like a reason why she was different, or is this yes. a case? Okay, so that was maybe a little bit of a like <sighs> not explaining that could have been better. Yeah, and it's and it's hard to it's hard to think that a PR firm would hire her after she's mm-hmm. robbed a bank, like. Like that, that part was hard for me to gel in in my mind. Like, I'm so cool. I'm glad that she was in there. But like, like I love how they're like she's native to New York, and I was like, no, she's not. She's from <laughs> Canada. Like, she's Canadian. I like ah. So, but like beyond beyond my problems with, and we're always gonna have problems with how writers have to fit characters in the stories they want to use. Um, I I loved her use, and I loved her as a character. Just a little bit of a different character to me. Um, and then America Chavez, her story is basically continued, has been one continuous trajectory. It really hasn't evolved since her Made in America miniseries, but like at least she's been on a pretty consistent path where she's trying to figure out what's going on with her powers, how to fix it. She probably has a few mentions of her, she has a few mentions of her sister. Nightmare pulls her up, and we know that she's still looking for her that way. Um, I always. I always feel when America Chavez is used, like she's a great character, but I think writers are finding, trying to find ways to make her not like the ultimate level character that she was. And it, it doesn't always work for me. Um, But where, where do y'all feel with America Chavez's characterization in this book? And then also too, give me some of your, like uh, beyond that, give me lost thoughts too. Um, after where you feel about America Chavez, anything else you want to bring up? Uh, just America. I'm always pro America. I am a, but oh, oh no, that's not, no. Oh God. Were you not that's... being cute? Come on. No, I wasn't. I was just like, cause I would be like, I'm pro Jean. I'm, I'm pro Jean and I'm pro Emma. I was like, I'm pro America. Oh my God. And I'm in the red, white, and blue hat. Oh my God. In my background. Oh, I'm the enemy. Oh. Oh my gosh, you enemy. are in front of a, a you're like you're like no mutants. <laughs> Look at this jingoist coming in to talk comics. Nico should be saying no more mutants now. Um I yeah, right? I'm the I'm the problem. Uh oh gosh. I I I liked I like America and all the stuff and uh I like I just like the book. The whole the book was a lot of fun. I would like to see more from it, maybe with a more adult bend i don't mean to say that it was juvenile but it just didn't feel like it pushed boundaries the way i maybe would have hoped um and i i would love more of it i i just had a good time and like i could just use a few more books that are just a good time life is hard uh comics can be not hard and this book can be not hard i will say for this book i felt that they touched on a lot of different things with the characters plot-wise that felt unresolved. And I really would have wished that they maybe picked one or two characters besides Hawkeye to focus on rather than trying to, like, fit all of them in with what's going on. And especially because, like, with America, um, with her getting sick with her powers, that's something that, like, you need to know more about. Um, And just... Like, where is Ego from and what's going on with him? And obviously our mystery boy. But um, I'd like to see more of those characters. But I think that's the limitations of, like, these limited runs is it's really hard to get 
all of these characters fleshed out um, characterization-wise. Like, we can get those, like, plots that are, like, a single issue that work, and then the overarching plot. But I'm, I'm very character-driven myself, so I guess that's just my take on it. I'd like to uh, echo Evelyn on that as a character-driven reader, but also as a plot-driven reader. There's just, like, not a lot in this comic. I think I would have really enjoyed this Thunderbolts run if it was the first five issues of, like, a lengthy series that had time to, like, yeah, like you said, pick up all these, like, various plots that are kind of introduced or left untangled. You asked about America Chavez. My biggest thing with America Chavez in the series is that there's nothing in here that wasn't already covered in Defenders Beyond, um, which is referenced in the series as the last thing that these characters were in. So it kind of feels like I didn't need to read this at all. And as much as I enjoyed a lot of the stuff in it, you know, a lot of it was cutesy. The super apes is fun. I like seeing the super apes. Give me more super apes. There's just, there's just Either a lot way. of, there's, there's a lot of not much going on in here to keep me interested in this team, unless they're getting an ongoing book that's going to continue and going to follow some kind of plot. Um, and I will say it did not help that they switched artists in between the books, like having Sean Isaacs and uh, Neto Diaz do the pencils within each book or within several of the books is really jarring. And they have completely different takes on several of the characters' designs and costumes. Like they were both really good, but it was just when you jump from one issue to the next, you're yeah. like, it was very, like, yeah. I was like, is that Luke Cage? I guess that is. Okay. <laughs> and then when there were two versions of people. Yeah. So like when, and then when you see like the, all the Americas looking at America, I was like, wait, no, but is this actually several Americas? I need a second. That threw me for right. a loop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I'm a big America fan. Um, I'm really excited to see where she goes next. Uh, like Steve defenders really did it for me in a way that this just like, uh, for America, it, for America! For America! Uh, you know, she had such a great run in that that it was just a little bit like, oh boy, that's that's tough to beat and coming right off the heels of it. That's that's tough to see for a character where you're like, they had such a good run and then in this one, not even that the writer did anything wrong, but just that it's a different focus, it's a different book. This character just goes to a different place and you balance that out with like, well, not everybody can be the focus of the book all the time. You know, some people choose not to do it like equal pieces of ensemble i really like this i was even okay with the fact that it was five issues my big thing now is uh matt and electra have moved out of manhattan and so some of the big drivers of street marvel and manhattan marvel um are really out and so this place that really is very important and is where some of the best storytelling is done the the fantastic four is gone um nobody's there right now peter parker's there but he's just <laughs> unhappy all the time so yeah. i you know i would love to see a series like this be a part of um expanding the offerings for what's going on in uh marvel manhattan i'd like to see more of what's going on in luke cage's life i'd like jessica back in the mix um, you know, I'd like to see what the street level heroes are doing, especially, you know, because Daredevil's doing such interesting stuff elsewhere, because Frank Castle is gone, thank God, people can walk safely so through the street. Um, you know, I'm just really interested in what's going on in Manhattan, and I don't need Thunderbolts to be the book, but I'd love to see it as part of a publishing strategy that, uh, was gonna deal more heavily with Marvel Manhattan. 
Uh, uh, okay. Oh, so, um, overall, I kind of felt that this being limited to five issues was a bit of like a disservice because of the different plots kind of felt a little crammed in. And I would have really liked it just to be an ongoing so we could really see these plot threads kind of continue a lot more. And, um, and like, for example, there was even that one part where I think it was like a training montage that they had. Like, yeah. sure, it was cute in the moment, but I felt like that scene would have hit a lot better if it was an ongoing because it probably would have paid off a bit more. And, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I just gotta say, I, I can't wait to see. I, I I really hope we get more adventures of this team. And if we don't, cool, it was a fun experiment. I would just like more persuasion out there. And if that if this is if this is her new personality, I'm fine and I'm bored with it. So as we are wrapping this up, I know we've got three of y'all who are signing off with us after that. So I want y'all to give me your handles again one more time, where we can find you, and also tell me what team uh, that. Is miss, what team is missing from Marvel Publishing right now that you would like to see come back and return? Robbie, let's start with you. Okay. You're... <laughs> All right. So uh, Age of Polaris is the handle. And <laughs> just to get that out there. And um, I'm a little stuck, but um, I would say maybe Academy X was a, okay. a team that I felt is, I think it's been one of the most needed type of teams for years now. And it, honestly, Marvel's missing out. It would sell like hotcakes if they released it. Money me, please. <laughs> for real. We would throw so much money at those variants. Make <laughs> <laughs> rain. You can uh, find me on Twitter at HowdyDuda. That's H-O-W-D-Y-D-U-D-A. You can type that into some other social media search engines and probably find me there too. And um, I really want to see a return of X-Factor, the current team of X-Factor that we've seen in the Krakoan era. It's a shame that they only got 10 issues in a book. Um, I would love for somebody to pick them back up. They're all out there doing their job still, and we don't get to see them do it and be gay. So... I'm Evelyn. I'm Hello. the Comic Canary. You can find me at comic underscore canary at Twitter and Instagram. And I know I'm basic, but Young Avengers. Young Avengers yeah. just has my heart. I miss the team being their messy selves. I mean, I know like some of them are off ruling space and all that stuff. No. But it's like, Hulkling can take like a vacay and come help. Yes, gay too. We, I just I miss the gayness. I was like, we all want gay series to come back. But Evelyn, there's nothing wrong with basic. There's basic is the standard for a reason, you know. Like, yeah, so, very basic. Good, basic good. I, I, good. I'm, I'm I'm a golden retriever. I'm like, yes, I like this thing. Other people don't. Why? <laughs> I like it. <laughs> well, speaking of things, we're sure you're gonna like. 
it has been such a blast having you three with us for this segment. And it has been, it's really always so much fun to talk about books with people that we talked one part with some people and now we're getting new voices for the other part. Always so exciting. Robbie, we can't wait to have you back more. Evelyn, it's been so great having you back with us. Steve, as always, we are going to hop. Oh, forever campaigning for the return of new mutants oh, with Vita and Ryback. That book Dave. will never be as good exactly. as it was under their control. Dream team. Giving right it up now. to Allie, throwing it out there. And we're going to throw it out to some commercial break. And when we come back, we're going to take a look at Tiger Division plus this guy, Avengers Assemble. So enjoy this commercial and we'll be back. I am over the moon to be back with some of the uh, most wonderful people. As always, it is a blast to be here with the gentle person who helped me launch this whole thing a trillion years ago and a lady who joined our ranks. And I could not imagine us doing this without. So I'm going to have Jonah and Raven say hi and turn things over to TK. Hey, everyone. It's Jonah. You can follow me over on Twitter and Instagram at Peak Jonah. That's P-E-A-K. And we hope you survive this experience. Just like these people who thought each other were dead. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that makes me Raven, aka Sanguine Thread slash in a bathroom. Don't ask. It's it's a thing. <laughs> Anyways, come find me everywhere. And we are talking about Tiger Division, written by Emily Kim with uh artist Chris Lee, uh color artist Yen Nitro, and letters by VC's Ariana Mayher. See now I'm doing it too. <laughs> That's uh, how she wants it. I know, and I'm stoked. And, uh, you know, we, when I came onto this show, we were looking at some White Fox material, which kind of ended up leading into some Swordmaster material, which kind of ended up leading into some Iron Fist material. And I just uh, became so enamored with this corner of the marvel universe you know we were i was just talking about the the manhattan corner of the marvel universe i don't i don't even want to say the asian corner because that's not a corner that's a continent um and you know i really appreciate that this book is so specific about uh you know this is really a korean intelligence organization and Mm -hmm. that is what this group is that's you know they are if the avengers are taking care of things in america this group is taking care of things in korea i love that it gives you details like that but you know right off the bat what's your experience with these particular characters and this concept of team leading up to this book everybody oh i did homework yeah i did homework and i found everybody's first appearance yeah okay luna snow let let everybody else go first and then i want to do numbers (laughs) okay because i got everybody's first appearances i'm ready to do this we're gonna do it (laughs) i i gotta say this book was I read its first issue. I, I I didn't read the other one, so I'm gonna let y'all really sell this book to me because I I know some of y'all are very excited to talk about this book. Um, I, I love I love White Fox and I love Luna Snow going into it. I knew none of the other characters really at all. See, and I think I I was fortunate enough to come in on was it a Demon Days with uh with the uh, with the Fox. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. So yeah, that's where I got my taste of Tiger Division, especially like Auntie Auntie. And I'm like, I need it. Now she's Lady Bright. So I was like, I need more of this. And they gave me more of it. And I'm so happy. 
Jonah, what you got? Uh, similar to Raven, my first experience with most, if not all, of these characters comes from that initial issue that I think, like, you know, brought us all together to this team was that Death of Doctor Strange, White Fox. Um, we are noticeably missing a member, um, Kuma, I believe that, right? That's yeah. her name? Uh, I don't know if it was covered in a different issue where she is, but she was somebody who I was actually kind of really excited to see more of because, I mean, she's a badass young girl. And she has a spiritual bear. Like, like, I mean, you know, we also, White Fox is there, but not White Fox. We've also got, you know, Swordmaster was present, but is now Iron Fist. I was wondering if he would show up. So I I think of stuff like that. I, I notice the same things as room to grow and, uh, you know, possibilities for later. So that is definitely something I want to talk about. Nico, hit me with some numbers. <laughs> So one of the things I love is that this book seriously takes a chance on some new characters. Of course I did homework. Of course did homework. I wanted to understand how these characters were not the characters of agent of agents of Atlas, the recent let's respect that there is an entire world of Asian mythology and Asian storytelling attempt before, you know, it's just like, sometimes it is hard for me because like, it, how is it so difficult to connect with a, an entire audience by by relating to the audience with writers from that audience? Like, that is what's hard for me. So that Marvel finally got it right is so exciting. Uh, Agents of Atlas was another great attempt. Uh, Greg Pak is just such a brilliant writer. Uh, and so this team, the oldest member of this team is White Fox, having debuted in Avengers Electric Rain in October 2014. After that, it would be five years before another character appeared. Luna Snow, who first appears in War of the Realms, New Agents of Atlas, number one in May 2019, before Lady Bright, Mr. Enigma, the General, and Gunner 2 would appear in Black Cat Annual from June 2021. However, in between those, uh, my by far favorite, Teguki, it first debuted in Taskmaster, volume three, number three, in February of 2021. So the oldest character here has less than a decade of experience on page, and yet all of these characters read with such depth and such nuance. I really feel like one of the transformative things that this creative team was able to do was to really ask me who these characters were page by page. I had to know who they were at all times because every decision each one of these characters make is motivated by who they are. There were no plot moves here. So there were times where I felt like characters weren't doing anything because there wasn't a major plot moment for them. So one of the things that I was really excited about was that the story managed to fit in all of these characters in three issues, but I never felt like I lost track of them. So this group of characters really got me excited. And I just think Emily Kim, Chris Lee, Yen Nitro, and Ariana Mar are, are stumbling onto something that, like, I can tell it's not finished. It's dough. You know what I mean? These cookies mm -hmm. taste like they've got molasses in them. But I feel like if they're in the oven a little bit longer, they'll get a little less chewy, although I personally prefer a chewy cookie. Mm. Um, and speaking of a chewy cookie, Taguki is literally so fuck but funlingly hot <laughs> <laughs> and and just a quick note it's uh Taeguk G 
Teguji, thank you. Yeah. I am bad at pronouncing there, there, things there in was English. A, there was so. a couple of uh, uh, misspells. Yes. In in there. Thank so you. yeah, like I okay. I had I was like wait. It, yeah, which way? it's, which it's way? a really interesting thing. We we've all got to do our best when it comes to that stuff. And on top of that, we get to learn something. It's it is one of the exciting things about any book that really prioritizes other nationalities and you know insists on accuracy and focusing on culture. We always got to make sure the editing is there. Oh wow, those cards are great, Kevo. Where did you find them? Yeah, those are amazing. He's gonna have to tell us. <laughs> um, they're variant covers. They're great. Those look spectacular. They are. They are gorgeous. I mean, yeah, this is such an exciting thing. And Nico, you pointed to something that you know I also mentioned, and I I, I think is really special. Is Agents of Atlas is the book that does the other thing, which is say like, hey, don't be so america centric there is this enormous part of the other world and of course they would have their own superhero teams but you know south korea itself is a major player on the world stage as we know it and such an important power i love the idea that we really can and should drill down further you know if there's an alpha flight absolutely there should be a tiger division uh so we really the fact that we get to drill down with this particular team and have a moment and not just say the asian team as though you know concerns for china concerns for japan aren't going to be drastically different than uh you know concerns would be for south korea also sorry about uh that's, I was just talking up. right over it and was going to let it, <laughs> let it go. Um, that show sure is, baby. It happened. Uh, can I just say, I'm so uh, glad that you brought up Alpha Flight, because that's what this book really reminded me of. Kind of like a very similar crunchy start, but a great group, cast of characters, down to um, the mystical transforming member uh, being a government agent. <laughs> it was oh my goodness. One to one a little bit that I was like, oh. This really kind of is just a Korean Alpha Flight, and there's nothing wrong with that. But hopefully, this one, you know, can maintain a title. It's really um... hey, Alpha Flight ran a title for like 115 issues. Or something. Yeah, I was gonna say if this book, if this team gets as many issues in the next 10 years as Alpha Flight got back in the day, yeah. I will be very happy, and also maybe Heck do yeah. another Alpha Flight book, guys. Yes, please. I, I think they did Although... really good with like creating this team i had like i think only one gripe honestly about the the entire roster and that's with um uh lady bright because they keep making jokes about or or reference to how old she is and that she's old she's old she's old she's old yes and you draw her like a 20 year old anime character Mm -hmm. give her some weight to her face give her some give her some age Make her look like she's 40, even if she's like 170. Like, give me some old <laughs> ladies. Damn you. I love old lady hero characters. I love old lady villains. I like having a, a variety of characters to look at and see represented. And I think, honestly, having a slightly wizened old woman just going in there and kicking butt and like hanging with like the 20 somethings. Oh my goodness! Yes, that yes, is please. That is why under her mask, I still, I still picture Destiny as the hundred and something year old woman that we got to know instead of the twenty yes. something year old version she was resurrected with. I'm like, right. keep that mask. 
it's a very funny thing that so many, especially in comics universes, like there are other places, you know, there are other franchises and other stories where being old means you have accumulated the most power and mm -hmm. you can still look physically, you know, wrinkled, gray haired, but you can win the fight by a lot. And it seems Stephen to be very anti-comic book rules, but you know, it's it's Marvel, so you can make up why the powers exist, and like you literally could have somebody who just gets stronger every year, but is going to live a normal human life. So at 99, they're Hulk strong, like that would be super cool. So yeah, Raven, I completely agree with you. Like even if you're saying this character is supernaturally old, if you make them like not 20, there are other modes besides you know everybody who's supernaturally old is just hot, right? And older people can be hot. I mean, and that's like one of the things that we need to talk about as a culture is that when Golden Girls started, Blanche is 47. <laughs> yep. That's so old, you're dead in 1985. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 47. Yeah. In Florida. Say goodbye <laughs> to the flesh. And like, so we look at the enduring quality of Golden Girls, just as an example, and I understand that it's an anomaly, and I understand that it also benefits from certain animalic properties, that it was you know, three well-established women and that a specific audience caught on to it. But yeah, as Kevin was pointing out, the women of Hot in Cleveland are significantly older than the Golden Oh, yeah. Girls. And yeah, like, Ali, I'm not far behind. I'm, you know, 37 now. And like, it is so challenging to me that we've constructed this idea that the commodification of youth somehow precludes the notion of inability Whereas we've decided that age precludes the notion of virility. So we've decided that the people with all of the experience lack the ability somehow. And like, I don't know, but most of the gay dudes that are 20 years older than me are on so much HGH, they're going to live forever. And <laughs> all of their organs are completely dehydrated. And I, you know, and my fancy dad tie, okay, daddy, that is what I do. And, um... I don't know. I really think that you're right. You're, you're really right that this belies the dangerousness of ageism as it relates to an inability. Like people used to, I used to get really defensive when people made fun of Jersey, as dumb as it sounds. But it actually, it's because it actually does have negative repercussions. When people decide that they're going to target an entire geographic location with negativity, the cultural perception becomes that place is stupid. So then people don't hire people from there. And it devalues the educational system there, which, by the way, just came in sixth in the country. So what happens when people decide that a group is inferior based on a precluding factor is that it deeply, uh, it deeply shakes the foundation and strength of that group. And this idea that ageism is okay in comics, when comics are made by an ever-aging population, is difficult for me and dangerous to the idea of my 37-year-old life not being the end of it. Jonah, as the youngest person in the room, you surely have <laughs> thoughts on this. Oh, I do. I... Step carefully, 90s baby. <laughs> Honestly, I'm closer to 2000 than I am to 90s. How dare you? <laughs> Just gonna Honestly, be over here. <laughs> I know, uh, everyone's gonna come keep my car. Um... <laughs> it's my car! <laughs> Honey, it's a Hot Wheels. Come on. <laughs> uh, I wasn't a Hot Wheels kid. <laughs> um, but I 
am a big proponent of showing anybody can be a hero. I want, no matter who opens up a comic book, no matter what they look like, no matter their age, no matter if they're disabled or not, no matter of anything, I want somebody to see themselves as a hero and have a good story and say, if they're a hero, I can be a hero too. And I think it's really important that we show a lot more older characters not only as heroes, but specifically drawn as older. You know, I, it's a really good point that Lady Bright is, you know, referred to as this older woman, but she looks much younger. And that's that doesn't happen. There are plenty of people who look, who are older and can look younger. But it's not fully fair that if she especially is meant to be the oldest character or um, Teguchi, that's how you pronounce his name? Teguchi. Teguchi is at least... Um, I, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt of kind of being almost a Korean Steve Rogers with, you know, mm-hmm. kind of being blasted with some energy and then becoming beautiful and hot and not never aging. Um, but I will say that it did jump like 50 years. I, I, I don't want to be like, you have to be continuous, but it was a little weird that we went from 1902 to 19, somewhere in the 1950s. Yeah, yeah. just yeah. hotter and hotter. He is as old, and and they introduce uh, the the guy that he ran that gang with, and he Who is older. Yes, and Who they did a fantastic job. Oh my god, I want to know about this character. I want to know what he's been doing for these last couple decades. He looks really, really like cool. Also, what is the, the pettiest revenge and motive of being like, right? I, you didn't tell me you were alive, so now I'm gonna ruin your life. <laughs> But, you know, something about it, I think I think what I'm seeing from the vibe of us talking about it is it was still compelling. Like, we're laughing mm-hmm. at the character, but, like, it was an enjoyable thing. And one of the things I was thinking about in the, in the series that we were covering, I think everybody who read Thunderbolts maybe wished that it wasn't so Hawkeye-focused. Uh, I think we all understood why he was the anchor character and was going to have the most plot thread. But it was uh, maybe a thick piece of plot rope, and everybody else actually just got a little piece of bread. And I feel as though this is, uh, you know, the weight is even further in Taeguchi's favor in this series. It really is, it, it might as well be a Taewon solo book. Uh, but something about it uh, is, is compelling. Uh, something about it in this case, I think the way that the other characters as support that would establish this team. For me, it worked, though I am noting the fact that we don't have enough time to really spotlight anybody else. Uh, this, this is working for me. It is doing what Thunderbolts also did, which is making me immediately want another mini. Mm-hmm. And it makes me want to see the minis follow like a linear thought process. Like, there's this idea that we can just sort of like throw minis anywhere we want and anybody can write this character and it's going to feel fluid and it's going to feel connected and don't you worry it's part of a vision it's part of a master plan yeah it's part of a master plan the way the guy putting the song on the radio at 8.30 was part of the master plan of the guy putting the song on at 4.30 like different creators programming things differently are going to have different visions and I want to see this vision come through completely I don't think he's in this book. <laughs> <laughs> no, but we do have a lot of cool robots, though. So, you know, mm-hmm. it's okay. we do. <laughs> and totems who will help you find your birth giver. 
and so, pop stars. As we move towards the end, I kind of just want to get everybody's last thoughts on this book and, you know, just hear what you're hoping for out of Tiger Division. Uh, you know, I just want to see these characters carried through to the end. I just want to see this ball keep running. I feel like every time I get excited about a new iteration of characters that represent a, an unrepresented or an underrepresented minority, I find myself only allowed to like them before Marvel decides there's another underrepresented minority that's going to get the title instead of just having multiple underrepresented minorities have titles for some reason. I don't know. But the only thing I want to see is this ball run. Just keep running it all the way. Don't stop. You've got this. I got to say, listening to y'all's coverage, like I'm really excited to pick this book up. Like actually officially like, okay, cool. You guys have sold me on it. Like I'm going to give it a shot see where it's going like i i gotta uh you know if, if white fox shows up a lot more then i i gotta read it i, I was like uh, yeah i'm here for it i'm down for it um i i want to give them a run just as long as the upper flight originally got i'm hoping for three things one uh a lot more white fox uh i will say i was really more interested in this book because she's in it she's already a character i'm established with not that i'm not happy with this cast and i can't fall in love with these characters but she is a character who i think has a lot of potential and you know a big enough audience that you can kind of uh showcasing her more i think would also bring in a couple more people to read it because she is from what i've gathered beloved or that might just be you know confirmation bias because i like her (laughs) um i want as nico said commit to the story commit to these characters and i think have them carve their niche and within the comic world within their marvel space really give these characters some justice so we have um this really cool cast of characters that feels like they can stand on their own as opposed to the asian insert whatever team the asian alpha flight the asian avengers whatever you want to call them let tiger division stand on its own find that niche um and the third thing is give lady bright a job at um uh, strange academy Yes. Why, isn't she, why isn't she teaching? She's a, a character who uses tarot and other forms of cards, I imagine. I'm pretty sure that should be kind of lessons that are there if, if she's not already teaching there. So let her teach. Mm-hmm. And for me, you know, I, I do think it is that I want more. Uh, I, I would like to see this book run. I would like to see these characters run. I would like to know how we can really have from an editorial and a publishing standpoint, an Avengers initiative for other nationalities, for other countries, for other continents. Uh, It's a big world, and I think we've done some really cool stuff in Aaron's Avengers with other countries. You know, we've seen the Winter Guard. Wakanda is fantastic because it can represent a lot, but Wakanda is fictional, and while it can stand in for a lot, there are uh, real African nations that I would love to see. Um, You know, if you really cannot think of, if it has to be geopolitically important, South Africa is a hugely important geopolitical player for a number of reasons, and it would be fantastic to see a team in South Africa that would have a very interesting dynamic, and there are really talented, incredible writers who can write about places like South Africa, just like people like Emily Kim write about, you know, Korea. There are many other countries in Asia that could be represented. Let's bring Agents of Atlas back. But, you know, let, let's let really be global with this 
company and these amazing properties. Um, I also just want to throw out if anybody was interested in this book and is going to read it and is interested in some more background uh death of dr strange white fox like we talked about hugely important the previous uh agents of atlas series also very important but two that you might not know about uh are uh the 2021 taskmaster series and mm. the black cat annual also from 21 2021 feature white fox and kind of give some interesting background uh of what's going on in ami han's life that uh sort of take us to where we are today so if you really want that background those are some good things to check out as well and uh jonah and raven as we give you your sign offs i would also really love to know what team you think we need to get back raven would you like to go first sure and honestly I can't think of any team that we necessarily need back because there's so many really, really good ones out there. I just want to see a good writer grab a team that maybe hasn't gotten as much screen time or as much page time and like really do them justice because we've seen some, I won't say half a behind of a run, but we've seen a lot of, we sort of did it so it's there are you happy now and it's like no, no no i want you to do it right i want you to do it right because there's so much great characters out there and they just they need the story and i know that there are some amazing writers out there who can really really do it so please give the good writers chances please 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 please, please. and where can everybody find you Oh, yes. Uh, let's see. Uh, Sanguine Threads or now In a Bathory. Um, I'm starting some dark storytelling over on Ooh. TikTok. Uh, it's D&D &D involved. It's vampires. It's a bunch of really kind of dark stuff. It can get kind of emotional, but will also be kind of fun. So come over and join me, please. Awesome. So I have an answer, and it's technically a correct answer. And what you're going to say is, Jonah, of course you would pick this. The team I want to see back again, back in a title, back in action, back being friends and doing things that, uh, in a very comedic and almost hateful way. Um, Next Wave Agents of Hate. I want that team Ooh. back. That is an answer. That's a real answer. Hell yes. That's a good answer. <laughs> give, me, uh, give me my Elsa and Tabby back together again. Give me some Monica. Give me some Machine Man. Give me some Captain. Give me all of them essentially being the adult swim of marvel comics that's what that book was yes. it was the adult swim of marvel comics yes um and uh it's just a cast of characters that don't often always get the spotlight and they can what i really loved about that team was it was uh five characters that i think hadn't been seen for a while didn't have a lot going on and gave them something to do in a really fun interesting story so bring them back let them have some good times again and if you want to follow me you can follow me over on twitter instagram at peak jonah folks it has been amazing thank you both for being with us and now we are going to pirouette on over to a book that is <sighs> I have a lot of feelings about this Avengers Assemble event, and it's a lot of feelings because what this Avengers Assemble event offers <laughs> is kind of sort of, 
I think, indicative of a situation we are having at Marvel, which is this to me doesn't feel like the end of Avengers. This feels to me like the end of seven runs by Jason Aaron all at once. Yeah. This feels like Jason Aaron maybe saw that this was a good time to get out. And I don't mean get out like, oh, fuck Marvel, but a writer needs some time to rebuild their brain. Stan Lee left Marvel repeatedly and there's a plethora of reasons, but like <laughs> the end of the day, we are here to talk about Avengers assemble parts one through six, kicking off an Avengers assemble alpha before moving on over to Avengers 63 to 65, as well as Avengers forever 12 and 13. Now this whole shebang is of course written by Jason Aaron, the guy in charge of all of it. We have pencils by Brian Hitch, Javier Garon, Aaron Cooter with inks by Andrew Curry, Javier Garon and Mark Farmer colors by Alex Sinclair, David Curiel, Frank Martin with letters by Corey Pettit. Now, We've actually been adding a few new things to our slides, including a little information about when the trade is coming out. The trade and hardcover are still not listed for Avengers Assemble, and that's in part because it doesn't even conclude until April 19th. Now, as of recording this, it's February 19th. And so we have two more fucking, two more flipping months of this. I will get this not cursing thing down. Hey, we all, I, we're all each at less than two, so, or two or less. So, okay. I, given where we were last week, I think we're killing it. Uh, so I, I gotta know, guys, we have now covered like literally a hundred issues for this run and we're sitting with like four left. Yeah. How do you guys feel about this head first run we have into the end of what might be the most significant volume of story Marvel's put out in one banner in decades? I Okay. So it's been a mile a minute. Like it, it's been such a fun ride, but do I feel that the story is going to be as epic as he wants it to be in the conclusion is it going to be worth like seven like 70 issues of avengers plus avengers forever so like this is like 90 issues of story that this is tying up i i'm i'm having a hard time feeling it's going to anyway conclude in a way that i'm going to be satisfied with the build up on because this is this is the mephisto arc this is the arc he's been building since avengers one and probably even before like i'm sure in thor but like this is this is that run yeah yeah i mean this is aaron's magnum opus and yeah. this is the the culmination of all of it and on top of that this bears the weight of showing people who came from the mcu uh as that was wrapping up what comics can do and what your comic Avengers are and how they are different from your movie Avengers and what you might see in your movie Avengers based on what the big guys who write the source material are doing. That is such an enormous task. And, you know, the, the, the thing I just always say about everything is, Nico, you dragged me into this. Nico, I was completely skeptical. And then you made me do it. And, yeah, I was no thanks to Jason Aaron's Avengers. Not really interested. I don't think this is good. I don't think this is for me. I don't want to do this. And the respect and appreciation I have for this person that really is bearing the weight of the 616 universe as the flagship source for story uh, that will 
radiate out into so many things he has done so incredibly well and yeah. uh you know really tight plotting he clearly knows what he wants to do are they all a plus stories or a plus books of course not um i would be disturbed if they were i would want the man studied um <laughs> but this is really well done um and you know as avengers assembled starts as we go into these 12 he really takes an interesting strategy and starts going for crowd pleasers and starts going out there yeah. and starts giving you references that are deep lore but i think he has done it in a way that sort of says well if you showed up at issue one of this you probably now know the deep lore like you know, it may not be as exciting to you, kid who saw Avengers Endgame and started reading this, as it is to me, the identity of Dark Mystique. Uh, but I bet you had some fun with it, and I think it's pretty cool. And I really appreciate that, uh, you know, Dark Phoenix Mystique is not uh, your your person, but you're still using her, Aaron. I really love that. Well, and Nathan, you called Avenger Prime. Oh, well, I mean, it, it was obvious, right? I mean, he's the one who's getting together all the Avengers for this thing. And what does Loki see himself is, if nothing else, than the guy who gets the Avengers together. So, like, as the cause of it, as the antithesis, I love, I love the story behind that. I love how he won. He won. He was able to prevent the Avengers from coming to fruition in his reality. And he realize what a mistake that is when everything came crashing down on him and then in the end he did still win but in his own loki way which is still messing everything up and he was the only one left and he had nobody to rule up. like he yeah and the, the god quarry is a cool place the god quarry is such a cool place um oh, for sure but yeah loki being avenger prime is clever and obvious and not so obvious at the same time yeah, and I feel like I feel like that is where it's at because I kept trying to be like, oh, maybe it's like old man Robbie Reyes because Marvel hasn't found a person they don't want to make old <laughs> looking at you, star brand. But speaking of old man something. <laughs> oh my god. Also speaking of rubber band ball star brand. I mean, um you know, the the thing here is I don't like the premise of Doom Above Doom. That is that premise just still doesn't work for me. I don't understand the dooming and like the the doom will make other dooms cucks. Like one I one doom to cuck them all. What is this? Is this the Republican National Convention? I have never seen so many chads vie for each other. And like there is a weird sense of doom isn't the Avengers villain. I mean that's a tough one though because we go back to Secret Wars, which ended up being about Doom. Yeah. Okay. And we... I don't know that Marvel has ever really sat down and done the footwork uh, to establish who are... Who, you know, that Doom is the, the threat for everybody. I feel like we kind of thought it was going to be the Beyonders and not somebody else. You know, like the Beyonders are are the threat to the Marvel universe. The X-Men are, are going to be as scared of them as the Eternals as the Avengers. Uh even Kang 
could be somebody that you could convince me. It is, you know, in 2015, I was very surprised that it was Doom uh, that that figured all this out. But that is the start of this policy that Marvel seems to have that Doom has now graduated from being a Fantastic Four villain. But I would have spent these years doing a lot more work to make us all feel that. I'm okay with it, but it's it's a it's a tougher sell than you might think. Okay, well, producer Kevo says I think figures like Doom and Fisk and Loki often transcend their home enemy. Yes. Okay. I'll I'll give you that. I, cool. I definitely see that. Um <clears throat> But like you, Loki's you, not just a Thor villain. Loki is also fair. an Avengers villain too, because like he started it off and they always bring him back for every anniversary thing ever. But it does really, it's its a footwork thing. It does require constant upkeep because we default to those things, those iconographic ideas. Yeah. And speaking of iconographic ideas, okay, well, when the whole thing is there's three teams of Avengers plus a team of bad guys with all of the Avengers powers, I guess what you wind up with is like three Ghost Riders, so two of them have to die. And then it's like, three you know symbiotes or two iron men or and it just gets to be a lot there was a little too much bloodbath fighting in this for me the reveals were so cool the reveals were so cool like when it's chicken faced fucking uh, chicken faced freaking uh raven and she's just like Bukak! and old man wolverine is like they remade me with hammers like <laughs> i'm i'm so happy and i really really love this reveal that like there is a universe where there is a, an awful little kid Thanos who now yeah. has the black skulls symbiote after it rejected him because somehow a little space brat is somehow better than a Nazi. I mean, anything's better than a Nazi. So I agree, but I just don't know that Thanos is so much better than a Nazi. <laughs> I'm so mad that I didn't guess that like, mystique was phoenix dark phoenix at all like because like now that now that i'm like oh the destiny mask makes sense like i still would rather dark phoenix have been destiny because i think that would have been a really cooler thing and i think the one trick that she got away with by like shape changing into tony stark i think any phoenix could probably do that with telepathy like but like it was it was a fun it was a really fun trick that was that was totally unexpected i did not expect mystique in any reality to be dark phoenix i mean it was something that we theorized about the last time we covered this as a podcast and not as a uh a tv show show (laughs) which is just so crazy to think about because that's like another lifetime ago but it wasn't that long ago um and you know that's that's one of the cool things about this run and this part of the run is uh Aaron laid down a ton of clues, ton of breadcrumbs, ton of puzzle pieces, and they'll fit together in a variety of ways as small components. They only fit together as one way to show you the whole picture. But we have part of what we've been doing is, you know, like trying to put these pieces together and figure it out. And to me, that's been fun. You know, uh, I some of the reveals have been really unexpected. Some of them have been like, oh yeah, of of course that's the thing. And I think that's how it ought to be. Um, I, I guess what 
if there's any problem with it, it, it's that there is just so much. And, you know, when there is so much, it can all be good. So so you've got that aspect of it. Like, it, it can't all be perfect. So you're, you're going to be dealing with, like, oh, this was supposed to be a big reveal that I loved, and it ended up being kind of one that fell flat for me. And then, you know, this random Phoenix reveal is, like, the most important thing that's ever happened. And, um, yeah. you know, there is... He is giving fans and readers a lot of stuff. And for my money, if I'm Marvel and I'm publishing this and I'm paying the guy, I guess I'm happy with it. Because how much of this are, you know, is a kid reading this today who eventually starts writing for Marvel? How much is he going to be able to pull from this and be like, I remember. Yeah. I remember that Avengers run. I remember that super hot Tony Stark Ant-Man. I'm bringing him yeah. back. I, that was the next thing. I even had Kevo ready an image. I think we can agree, like most of the internet, that the best version of Tony Stark ever yes. is Ant-Man. I'd give it all up for this man. No I'd more be... Iron Man ever. God damn. No other Ant-Man ever. Yeah, no. Like, Definitely this not. is the best version of both of those characters, the hottest version of both of those characters, the best character Aaron Cooter draws. This is far and away a fully realized version of a character that gets a lot of passes and a lot of aunt Tony. Yes. Kevo aunt Tony. That is who he is. This is. Uh, and then that he gets the revenge against Howard in some ways by uh, just like, what a way to really sell me on this character. Yeah. And uh, you know, those, giving us new versions the, the fact that this is all about uh nico it's all about totemic symbolic versions of the avengers it's all about what are the core qualities of the avengers and what are if you are spanning the multiverse for tony starks it's so funny you're spanning the multiverse for tony starks and you're also spanning the multiverse for iron men and some of the tony starks aren't going to be the iron men it's that to me is just the really special and cool thing about this and the thing that makes it i would really say kind of a necessity uh you know ali you said earlier and thank you very much that we um you know we're maybe convincing you that uh this this might be a good run and i would say like for fans like you for people that are coming into a chat like this and and hanging and hearing what we're saying it kind of is necessary it really it could be a game changer for how you see the Marvel Universe for the next 20 years. Yeah, I really do think it opens up a lot of new possibilities and gives us a lot of new archetypes for these characters that we love. And I love the fact that we are getting to expand upon the idea of what it means to be a Tony Stark, a Carol Danvers, a uh, Captain America, be it the cutest dog that I have ever seen, or like the Duke Wolverine one. <laughs> and I love how many of like, because we know what a Captain America is, because we know what a Captain Marvel is, we don't get those. Right. Because we knew what a Tony Stark was, we got like the most un-Tony Stark, Tony Stark yes. Tony Stark. Robbie Reyes and you know this new age of heroes really stand out in this the fact that this is in some ways i like i can't help but notice as we're standing at the end of of aaron's run 
And I think back on the fact that Aaron's whole metaphor for this entire run is that Robbie Reyes, the new kid in town who nobody expected anything from because he always seemed just like he was on the wrong side of a wrench. It it seems like the whole point was it turns out you can drive anything if you give it your spirit and your soul and your heart and every part of you. And I wonder how much of that is Jason Aaron's personal experience driving Avengers. How much of Jason Aaron's vision for Avengers became, instead of thinking he was writing about Ghost Rider, one thing, avenging, he realized it's the all-writer. It's the all-Marvel. And I would really be interested to know how time looks at this Avengers run because I think it's a mess, but I think it's a beautiful mess. And like... He's just killing off too many characters at this point, though. And too much of it isn't going to survive into the next thing. But I I would love to get your guys' take. I felt like this six issues was about two and a half issues of plot. Honestly. This was a lot of fight sequence in a way that a big run pays off in. But I maybe did start to feel like this was $30. That was $20 of story. $40 of art but $20 of story. How do you guys feel about the severe decompression that we're facing at the end of this run? Mm, okay. So I, I think for how, as long as this arc took to build up, I think some of the things were, were paid off or revealed a little bit too early. Oh I think, yeah. I, I think lo- revealing Loki as the um, Avengers prime, like that, like in <laughs> like what the second or th- was it the second or third one. I was like, what like you just we just why 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 not do that um i i do think there's going to be some things that we have to wait to see how it's going to get paid off like what's going to become a robbie ray as a story you know like why why can't he transform um obviously we got a big um we got a big chance to see a glimpse of what might happen at the end uh where lady phoenix was coming back to earth to try to join the fray um i i just i it I, I can't wait to see, but I think I think the pacing is pacing is very weird on this. The pacing is extremely strange, and I got to see how the whole arc unfolds. What'd you do to my mom? Oh my god, that moment right there! I was like, what? What? I was like, when did he switch from being like mad at her, like I hate Phoenix, she's not my mom, to like, what did you do to my mom? Like, did he read the same Avengers one million BC issue that we oh. did? Yeah, yeah. Like I think like, he wrote it. <laughs> Where, where's the explanation? I don't get it. Don't get it. There are times I'm I'm a big fan of a big believer in. I would rather see you take a big swing and create a horrible mess, a giant mess, than oh, yeah. you know play it play it conservative and give me something. Uh, You're not pro America. <laughs> I am not pro America. Um, don't put me on a list. I'm kidding. I don't want to fly anywhere. It's fine. Um, <clears throat> yes, forty dollars of art, twenty dollars of plot. Yeah. I'll take the balance because the art is gorgeous and it's really cool. And the moments where nothing happens for multiple pages to me are still engaging. Um, yeah, I. 
you know, I, I, I feel bad because I feel like my thing is constantly poking at Marvel editorial and who the hell am I? I don't know what these people are actually <laughs> doing behind the scenes. You know, like, are they failing? I highly doubt it. I'm not here to tell them how to do their jobs. But a lot of times these things feel as though they are more editorial decisions than they are writerly decisions. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm not saying like editor of this book. I, I bet you screwed up here. <laughs> I'm saying in. In the flow of things, I think like probably on in scripts, there was something that worked and then decisions were made for how this was going to get published. And they may have been made by Jason Aaron, uh, but decisions were made that result in something where at times, yeah, there is a bit of a stall out. Uh, but in those moments, you are invited into the book in a really visceral way. Yeah. And you go into this moment that maybe lasts a little too long, is maybe a bit indulgent, but you are in it fully. And honestly, Bird Phoenix is one of those moments that is so oh, little good. for plot. Uh, that really gets us nothing plot-wise because we nothing. have the original Mama Phoenix coming back to Earth, and that's really the important thing. So Bird Phoenix and her thing with Wolverine and the two of them being like, mm, a firing squad in 1920. <laughs> okay, I was like, why? I was like, why? And that's then I'm like, not the thing, you losers. I'm like, I'm like, okay, so like, if she's like, yeah, lover, you're going to finally die, I'm like, but why is she wearing a Destiny mask? Like... Like, when, yeah. like I need to know. I need to know more about this Dark Phoenix, and I You're need not to, going and I, to. And I don't care that I'm not going to because yeah. I'm just going to make it up, and it's going to be even more. Same. Better. And, and that's. And I think that is maybe the the right call for this series <laughs> to do stuff like that to give us stuff that maybe doesn't matter. Because again, like I said, some kid is reading this now who is going to grow up and write yep. for Marvel and is going to be like, Bird Phoenix is the most important character in the Marvel Universe this year <laughs> when she returns in my run on West Coast Avengers. Like, <laughs> there you go. Um, I so, can't you know. wait for Moira McTaggart to get repowered in future New Warriors issues like 20 years from now. Yep, yep. Oh my God, she's going to get like um, a Stiltman costume. But it's going to be, um, yep. they're going to be big wheels on a skateboard. <laughs> and I just really, I love what we're talking about here. Because the other thing that we're not mentioning in, in talking about, like, all of the funny of, like, bird chicken mystique, which I'm in for. Yeah. Uh, the other thing we're not mentioning is how frequently Jason Aaron is able to pivot from silly to scary. Yes. Because yeah. there's a lot of silly images of bird woman mystique. But there are some truly frightening images of Bird Woman Mystique. Yes. She and she's can... very clearly disturbed. Yes. In a way oh, that yeah. is... Um, it's funny conceptually because we have sexy Mystique who's making out with her wife all day in main continuity. We have yeah. Mystique that had a baby with Logan. I didn't swear. I'm so proud of myself. Uh, in in uh, Children of the Atom. Like, Why? Why would we ever Mystique acknowledge that? That we're like, this one is bonkers by comparison. This one is scary yeah. as hell. Look at her. Yeah. She's terrifying. And the Phoenix logo is upside down. It's like an upside down cross situation, you know, like, which is silly, but also like, oh, this really is a different situation. Yeah. It does a lot more in just a few issues than my precious old man Phoenix Logan does in 10 issues. That's what it is. Is this book going to be a fight over the fight of the Phoenixes at the end are like, are like Echo and like Logan and like 
Lady Phoenix gonna all have to team up and save the day from no all that's doom. gonna be like a random thing that happens in four pages in uh you know part... <laughs> i'm not you know i'm not i'm not being funny like <laughs> it is funny but like it's gonna be in four pages in issue 10 and that that will cancel all the phoenixes out and there will be like one left <gasps> then brandy has to save the day yeah like it's gonna be brandy star, like... star brand oh i yeah. thought you meant like sitting up the in my room is... My... Like yeah, like white hot room. Pack and um, thinking about you. Huh? Um, She's still waiting yeah. to exhale. Um, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be more like that because this book doesn't do those things where it's like, hey, we've brought in the cosmic force that is the phoenix, the one of the constants of the universe. That's probably important to this multiversal story. No, Aaron's multiversal rules are his rules. Oh yeah. And if the phoenix is not in the mix, like if the phoenix is more just like. Uh, kind of a Guardians of the Galaxy-esque cosmic level character. That's just what we're doing this time around. There's no Galactus in this. Like, no. so many of the things that we have previously been like, this is a, like, we, none of the abstract entities are in this. Like None. This is just Aaron's thing. I love that for him. I'm not criticizing. But what it does mean is you get these moments where you're like, well, when a star brand and a phoenix meet, that probably will change the entire universe forever. And Aaron's just like, no, it's just a cool logo for a minute. And then we got to go. Well, speaking of got to go, I would love to know what you all think is going to happen. We've got Planet Doom coming for all of the Avengers United. Agamotto had his fucking eyes ripped out. Oh. Hulk punches through the shield and then be oh, I said it again. Yeah. And then becomes a uh, a rubber band ball. This is a, a bloodbath, but it's one that I'm in for. Yeah. And I'm I'm going to ride this out. There's like no way I'm dropping yeah. this before the end. Kevo pointed out to me that I quit Mad Men with 5 episodes left. Mm. Okay. I might have yeah. to go I might have to go back and get it someday, but like yeah, I could quit that with 5 episodes left. Because Don Draper is not that interesting. I almost did that on Lost in the penultimate episode. I was like, no. Oh, I I wish I had with Lost. Yeah, I know. I had seven left. Seven Um, episodes. Well, the thing is, I'd watch Allison Janney literally floss someone else's teeth. Yeah, I mean, that that was it. When she shows up, that's a game. Anyway, Uh, (laughs) Nathan, what do you think? (laughs) Okay, so I'm definitely going to stick it out. I did not buy, like, 90 something issues of comics <laughs> not to see the end. like it's like i know i've sunk way too much money into this thing and i've yeah. got to like We're i got to get a return for the investment like so yeah um it's going to be ridiculous it, it it's i i don't think it's going to be another star brand phoenix ending but if it is then go for it go with what you know jason Aaron. go with what you know i i go with god crispy <laughs> i am i yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I really have to reserve it because there there are times that I just I love this run so much and there are times that I'm like, okay, I'm ready for a new Avengers. And at this point in the arc, I'm like, you know what? I'm ready to wrap this up and let's get me some new Avengers. Not that it wasn't a great ride, but I, I need to see somebody else's vision. I love a I, road trip, but I got to get the fuck out. I got to get the frick out the car. I'll get there. <laughs> I, I really agree with that part insofar as, like, you know, uh, the magnum opus does have to end. Yeah. Uh, this is an amazing one. And uh, I it, could it go on so much longer? Sure, and I'd be in for the ride. But we have said that we're at the last 12 issues, and so it does have to end. And so now I'm ready, and we're getting there. Um, 
you know, it's unfortunate the way that this industry works because we already have seen the cover of Jed McKay's Avengers. Uh, we already know that we're getting something very different and love that for Jed McKay. I think this is going to be a great. Oh, yeah. Run. And love it but, for us. Oh, yeah, God, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to be great. Like, that's not, it's not like, why can't it still be this? But what it does mean is, you know, some things are sort of taken off the table in a certain way you know when you see that solicit three months ahead of time if you see certain elements then elements that you are looking at in the book now you say to yourself oh like the next author is picking up on that stuff this is going to be those characters are going to remain um and if you don't see those things there's a lot of question marks but aaron is telling a story about the multiversal constant of the Avengers, yeah. the thing that the the totem creature that represents these this person as well as this hero, because it really is, you know, there's Tony Stark and then there's Iron Man, and those can often be different things. And I don't know where we're going to end with this, but my real hope is that those laws, the laws of the constant the omniversal avengers get codified in a way that give new writers tools to play with as we go into a new phase for marvel because as the mcu becomes multiversal the multiverse in comics is going to become important in a really new and different way and i think when that happens rules are important and expectation setting is important and Aaron's doing the work to lay down some rules. And I really hope that what this run ends with is something that says like, yeah, that work that he did, those rules that he laid down, those are important. And you'll see those again. Yeah. I just, I, I wonder too, is he going to put his play toys back in the place they were? Like, is he going to, D Phoenix, D Phoenix Echo. Like, yes. is is he going to? I, I'm sure Starbrand's going to die epically, heroically, and that's. Gonna but who's be... getting it next? Yeah. Um. And uh, Phoenix. Uh, we now do know from some solicits that, uh, the language being used indicates that Phoenix is leaving. Okay. I'm, uh, I'm excited because where we go next is going to be a reward for having been on this journey for so long. But at the same time, I also oh. feel like it's, it's hard because you never want it's, it's romantic because you fall in love with a run and you become culturally entangled with a zeitgeist, right? Like, I'm not going to long for the days of going to the shop and picking up Aaron's Avengers. I'm going to long for the days of talking with the two of you about Avengers. Sharing this run with the two of you has been a romantic experience for me. And comics are one of my love languages. So having had this, it's it's almost like sacrosanct in in what it's going to mean to me in my personal timeline. And that's kind of the magic of a good comic run. Even if you don't walk away changed from what you read, you walk away changed from having read it. And I'm really emotional to say goodbye to it. Uh, I, you know, Jason Aaron has been one of my favorite writers since I'm like 19 years old. And this is going to be a hard goodbye. But I hope he leaves Marvel for a little while. I hope he takes a little time to do Jason Aaron stories that make him Jason Aaron money. And if that's still at Marvel, then great. But yep. 
this is definitely a, a okay hop off the hop off the boat for a minute kind of moment for me and give it a rest you know what if, if there's a place i would love to see jason aaron go would be justice league i would love to see fuck yes jason aaron justice league just as uh off the wall as this is avengers run with just as much to at, at one time fall in love with and at one time just say what 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 exactly I, yeah, yeah I mean, I, you know he could really be the one to do for the justice league what he did for the avengers course. oh yeah because uh, they're gonna need it soon uh you know dc is is pulling their stuff together i don't know how it's gonna go but yep. they're gonna need that kind of uh transmedia storytelling for their fans soon yeah you need i think in dc you do need that one property that helps drive a lot of the other ones like yeah. avengers has driven so many stories eternals sprung oh out of yeah it. like and moon knight moon knight and and uh, so many more books that i can't even think of because like it's just incalculable like the yeah. effect this has had on the comics experience at marvel so yeah dc needs that i'd love that that's that's that's, that's all the way my vote unless teen titans if you want to make titans the driving force of the dc universe then go for it I would probably rather see Alyssa Wong on Titans. Oh, um, yeah, they would do great on that. I, I know they're doing more DC work, and I'm like, oh, yeah. my gosh, I'm going to have to pick up more DC titles. Like, oh. Uh. Well, until Superman starts trying to sell me my long-distance carrier, I'm really excited about the future of these titles, these writers, and I would love to get your guys' last thoughts as we wrap up. My final thought is um, I would love a video game of this. Just like outright yeah. Avengers assemble the mobile game, and it's all of these weird AU versions of characters instead of any of the ones you know. You can't really get the ones you know. They're built into the game. Um, I, but in the vein of, of Ultimate Alliance, not X Men Destiny. Yeah. Oh please, yeah. yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right, Gen- my Supermans, hit me. Uh, one, I'm realizing now we really, we, we need to be in the world where Candace Bergen played Superman because <laughs> you talk about selling long distance carriers from Superman. I'm like, oh, but okay. Yeah. I, uh, this has been great. I, I can't, I, I just honestly, yeah, I got it. I loved it. Yeah. I mean. This is a unique, fun time. Uh, I do really hope, dear watcher, that that we've sold you on it a little bit because for as bonkers as this is, for one thing, most of it's on Marvel Unlimited right now. So, you know, by the time you, if you start on issue one today, by the time you finish reading this whole darn thing, uh, it'll all be on Unlimited. Um, But what what a special run, you know, it's, people don't get this anymore it is so you rare yeah. for writers to get these big runs i really would love to see uh women getting these runs non-binary oh, people getting yeah. these runs. yes um but this is still really special regardless of who writes it it's really special and notable and for that reason alone i would say it's worth your time and it really has been worth mine it has completely expanded my uh knowledge and look at the marvel universe and i'm very grateful for that i mean is this marvel's longest running title right now like what's yes. going to be the longest running title is it x-force honestly yeah it's no. going to have to be oh this is, it yeah because this is 28 this is 2018 and x-force didn't start until uh late 2019 um yeah 
the number of oh yeah no after avengers is it going to be is it x-force is the longest one i don't even know because it's it might be yeah it really might be everything else x-men's been rebooted so many times including this show so (laughs) (laughs) well until we come back for another whole amazing episode where we talk about some another round of amazing books I have been Nico Action. You can find me at Twitter and Instagram at Nico Action. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And as always, I would like to invite my incredible partner, the amazing producer, Kevo. Come on, tell everybody where you can find us and uh, or find yourself. And uh, you got to tell us what team you want to see back at Marvel. Oh, no, I forgot. I'm going to need to have an answer to the question, the question of what team not regular i don't know what nathan and i will buy you some time i'm okay good you can find me on the socials uh at x nate x gray x and again you know write marvel some letters those new warriors books exist just tell them you need to see them published we can do this together yes at least put them out put them out in marvel unlimited you have made the books Make it a value added Marvel. Don't do a series. Batgirl, guys. Yeah, <laughs> don't don't just shelve it and say like, no, we're gonna write off the loss. I'm Nathan. You can find me on mainly Twitter, but all the socials at Desler AON. That's like Desler in the Age of Apocalypse. And you know, I just gotta say, like, if I had another team besides the Avengers West Coast, you know, like maybe give me something kooky. Give me like the Knights of Pendragon. Oh yeah, yeah. I'll that throw in some list. Midnight Suns, yeah. Yeah. some Marvel Knights. All right, Kevo. Throw it down. Gauntlet. Can I Nico story for a second before yeah. I get into my answer? Because yeah. honestly, and this is this is frequently how I feel when I have to answer questions like this. Uh, we were given an opportunity to go to a special like week in advance preview showing of the Avengers in 2012. And afterward, there was this after party thing. And it was, you know, this hokey little thing hosted by Acura. But they had Marvel artists there doing like free drawings and nobody who went gave a gave gave any amount of cares because none of them knew who these people were like but we knew who the artists were i got a i got so, a signed paulo rivera from it. oh yeah, wow and i got assigned to riley brown who i don't know great and, artist but not as famous and this is also 2012 so i was even less into comics then than i was now and so i was just like i have I, I don't know. I don't know what, what to ask for. I was like, can you do Young Avengers? And he was kind of like, uh... and so I'm like, I I know so little. I don't know what teams are even not appearing currently. Like, that's a team. Are they are they doing anything Young right Avengers now? Would be a great they team would be a great back. one. Great. That's just going to always be my default Marvel answer for the rest Ooh. of time. I'd love so to thank see you, Riley Brown. Love to see Young Avengers like nine hundred two one zero or the College Years or something like. And yeah, and Valerie. You know, I feel like uh, from what I'm aware of of that team, there hasn't really been a change up to the lineup. It's just been sort of like there's been some slow over time, yeah. but I feel like there hasn't been a major refresh. So, like you're saying, like you know, not just bring back Beverly Hills nine hundred two one zero, but just nine hundred two one zero it with you know that girl from. Degrassi, the next generation, and that guy who was a model, and, and all those other people. Who was um, Hot Kyle from Melrose Place, who was one of the dads? Rudd do, do that with it. Yeah. yeah. Do that with Young Avengers. Have one of the former 
uh, members of another team be a hot dad to a new young Avenger and do something fun with that. That's what I want. There's my answer. Well, until the cast of Melrose Place get their own superhero team in the Marvel Universe. You got this, Kimberly Shaw. <laughs> Keep Hit that up, girl. She is Typhoid Mary. Keep those she mutant- is. Wow. Keep those mutant lights lit, those Krakoan gateways open, and I am getting off this show. We'll see you guys next week. Thank you Bye. so much for coming out. Like, Bye, <laughs> like and subscribe. Got to go. Oh, bear. Bye.